Okay, so our first reading is uh, John chapter 11, 1 to 27. Now a man was sick, Lazarus, from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sister sent a message to him, Lord, the one who you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, This sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to the disciples, Let's go to Judea again. Rabbi, the disciples told him, Just now the Jews tried to stone you, and you're going there again? Aren't there twelve hours in a day, Jesus answered. If anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble, because he sees the light of this world. If anyone walks during the night, he does stumble, because the light is not in him. He said this, and then he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. Then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will get well. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus then told them plainly, Lazarus has died. I'm going for you. Oh, so I'm glad for you that I wasn't there, so that you may believe. But let's go to him. Then Thomas, called twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let's go so that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. And Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, ever. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into this world. Having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. As soon as she heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. So they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. When Mary came to, Jesus, to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was angry in his spirit and deeply moved. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he, open, 
Couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, angry in himself again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, he already stinks. It's been four, it's been four days. <laughs> Jesus said to her, Didn't I tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me. But because of the crowd standing here, I said this, so they may believe you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips, with his face wrapped in cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees convened the Sanhedrin and said, What are we going to do since this man does many signs? If we let him continue in this way, everybody will believe in him. Then the Romans will come and remove both our place and our nation. One of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. You're not considering that this is to your advantage, that one man should die for the people rather than the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to unite the scattered children of God. So from that day on, they plotted to kill him. Therefore Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but departed from there to the countryside near the wilderness, to a town called Ephraim, and he stayed there with the disciples. The Jewish Passover was near, and many went up to Jerusalem from the country to purify themselves before the Passover. They were looking for Jesus and asking one another as they stood in the temple complex, What do you think? He won't come to the festival, will he? The chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it so that they could arrest him. This is the word of God. Thanks, Jared. Thanks, Joe. This is our last sermon in John's Gospel until uh, beginning of February, in John chapter 11. Uh, Let me take you back to uh, May 1991, and I'm at a funeral in Oxford in England. It's a wet, windy May, one of those awful English days. But it was like a funeral I'd never experienced before. I don't know if you've ever been to these kind of funerals. Uh, It was like a, a celebration. It was kind of like... Uh, There was grief, and there were tears, and there was sadness, but there was also this amazing joy. Uh, And they sung with with gusto, and amongst the tears, there was kind of a a contentment. I remember walking to the wake, or whatever you call it, it wasn't really a wake, and chatting to somebody. I, I became a Christian about a year before. I said, I'd just never been to a funeral like that. Why was that so different? And the person I was walking with said, oh, it's because of the, the resurrection. And I've been a Christian for about a year, and I'd even read John Stott's The Cross of Christ. I understood all about the cross. I understood about forgiveness. But I'd never understood the implications of the resurrection. Because the resurrection totally transforms your grief. 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it will utterly transform the way that you face death. Because if a person is in Christ, if they die in Christ, if they die as a believer, and amongst the grief and amongst the sorrow, there is actually deep joy. Because they're with Christ, which is better by far. It's funny when we talk about death, because we don't talk about death, do we? Uh, lots of countries around the world are very public in their mourning. We here in Australia are, are, are so reserved, and we almost sanitize death. I do a lot of funerals, but often people don't even come to the crematorium these days. It's like they can't actually face seeing the coffin go there or go into the ground. But death is a reality. Here's the stats for you. Three people die every second around the world. So as we sit here tonight, about 11,000 people will have died. That is the reality. And yet here in the Western world, we have all these euphemisms for death, like they've, they've passed away or they've gone to a better place or they're looking down on you. I don't know what your attitude towards death is. I, I guess I'm kind of unusual because death has just been part of my life. If you don't know me, when I was uh, just over six, six and a half, my, my brother was diagnosed with cancer. So uh, sort of death was sort of looming in our house for much of my childhood. Uh, when I was 11, my father was diagnosed with a terminal illness. And for nine long years, we lived with death in the household. And on average, four times every year, we were told that my father had 48 hours to live. So you, death is just there. When I went to university, one of my closest friends died suddenly overnight. Uh, obviously, I married a widow. <laughs> Rachel was 27 as a widow with a child. Death was part of her life. Uh, one of my friends was murdered when he was 33. You know, you see him one day, he's murdered, he's dead the next. I remember Sam going to preschool when he was four. Uh, he's asked to bring a family photo, so he took a picture of him and Rach. And one of the other kids said, Where, where's your dad? And Sam, as a four-year-old, said, oh, my, my dad is dead. And the teacher, I think it was, he said, oh, no, no, no. Only old people die. Let's not talk about death for the children. Why do we do that? Death is part of life. Death is a reality. If you remember Zach Jones, sorry, Zach Young, who was bitten by the shark last Saturday. Uh, his Bible study leader is one of Rachel's closest friends. Uh, she's got to minister to the family this week as they cope with his death. Uh, last Saturday morning, I met her with a friend from South Africa who I hadn't seen for 13 years. As we walked around the harbor, he talked about his eldest son, who is now 10, and he's got a degenerative muscle disorder, and the life expectancy is 20. And he talked about just living with death. Let me ask you, how do you cope with death? How do you cope when somebody that you love 
passes away, when they die? How do you cope when you yourself are given the, the dreadful news that, that you've got a sickness, that you don't know whether it's going to lead to death or not? How do you approach death? Do you listen to the, the words of people like Aristotle? <laughs> he said this, Death is a dreadful thing. It is just the end. Where's the hope in that? Bertrand Russell said, when I die, I rot. Any hope in that? Muhammad Ali said, I'm scared of no one and no thing, only death. Whose words are you going to listen to in the face of death? Listen to the words of Jesus, John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, ever. Do you believe this? It's the most extraordinary statement. He says, I have the power over death. I, I'm the one who's got the, the right to, to raise people again. And if someone dies in me, believing in Jesus, even though they go through the physical pain of death, they will live for eternity. Everyone who lives and believes in me, they will never die spiritually, ever. Verse 25 is kind of a strange order, isn't it? You expect Jesus to say, I am the life and the resurrection. Because that's the way that we think, life then resurrection. He doesn't say that. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And he's kind of saying, if you've sorted out your death, then life makes sense. You can't get your life right until you've solved the death problem. But once you've understood that Jesus is the resurrection, then life suddenly makes sense. That is the remarkable claim of Jesus. He's claiming to be the solution to death. And the question is, can he deliver? Now, Jesus does not make this statement in a lecture room full of philosophy students. He makes this statement in a household that is mourning and grieving. And Jesus knows them. He's at the funeral of a friend. So if he cannot deliver, he will look a total idiot, won't he? I love this chapter. I've got three C's for you tonight. The first one is a word of comfort. A word of comfort that Jesus understands death. Verses 32 to 35 are some of the most emotional verses in the Bible. The raw emotions of Jesus. Verse 32, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's right, isn't he? Isn't she? Jesus has the power to heal. If Jesus had been there, he could have stopped Lazarus from dying. When Jesus saw her crying, and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was angry in his spirit and deeply moved. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. And then Jesus wept. Jesus had a deep understanding of the pain and the frustration and the, the grief of death. Look at those words in verse 33, he's angry in his spirit. The, the words are literally, he's shaken up. He is, 
indignant. He has this righteous anger at death. And he's deeply moved, verse 33. He's sad to his core. And then look at verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. The Son of God shed tears from his tear duct. The deeply compelling humanity of Christ. The Almighty God, the creator of all things, he, he stands by the tomb of somebody he loves and he is grieving. And so what do you do when you're grieving? You cry. Isn't that how you feel about death? Sadness, pain, sorrow, grief. If you have lost somebody that you love, if you've ever lost somebody that you love, you know those emotions, don't you? That you feel like the core has been ripped out of you. You're numb, you are shocked. You've got a hole in your life that no one can fill. You, you long to see them, you long to touch them, you long to smell them, you long to just be held by them. And if you've lost someone that you love, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? It is right to feel that way. Grief is a right thing. Tears are a right thing. The sadness, the pain, the sorrow. So what is Jesus frustrated about? Why is he so angry? This struck me this week. He cannot just be angry about the death of Lazarus because he knows he's about to raise him again. So his pain and his sadness is, is much bigger than the death of Lazarus. So his anger and his pain is at the, the very presence of death in God's world. It's like the, the Son of God is looking at uh, people who are grieving and looking at a tomb saying, this is not what was meant to be. This is not the world that God created. There was no death. Only when sin entered the world did death enter the world. This is not how it was supposed to be. The wages of sin is death. It's like death is an imposter in God's perfect world. And I find these verses such a comfort because Jesus knows your grief and Jesus knows your pain. He understands. One of the problems of, of, of preaching to a church, I, I don't know all of you, but I'm, I'm guessing that some of you have gone through grief. You get this, don't you? If you've never gone through grief, please hold on to John 11. You will come back to them when you're facing grief. Where are you going to run to in that moment of sadness and sorrow and pain and anguish? And the answer is Jesus. He knows. He's been there. He's grieved as well. That's the word of comfort that Jesus understands death. But you still need the confidence that Jesus can deliver on that promise that I am the resurrection and the life. So secondly, a word of confidence that Jesus has the power over death. It's an extraordinary narrative. Let's just walk through it. The man is named Lazarus in verse 1. His, his uh, sisters are Mary and Martha. And Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with the fragrant oil. Look at verse 3. The sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, 
the one that you love is sick. So that they're close family friends. I don't know, do you imagine Jesus playing with Lazarus as a boy, kicking a ball around? Look at verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Isn't that the most inappropriate so in the Bible? Jesus loved Martha, and he loved Mary, he loved Lazarus, so he did nothing about it. He loved them so much that he just stayed where he was for two long days. He loved them so much that he spent two days just wandering around doing stuff when he could have gone and healed him. Why didn't Jesus go? Why didn't Jesus bother to go and heal his friend Lazarus? He could have, couldn't he? That's what Martha says down in verse 21. Lord, if he'd been here my brother wouldn't have died. And Mary says the same thing in verse 32. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 36, 37. Uh, some of them said, couldn't he, have op- he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? And they asked, of course he could. Jesus is the healer. He could have healed Lazarus. So why didn't he bother going? And do you know the answer? It's you and me. Because if Jesus had gone, and if Jesus had healed Lazarus, and if Jesus had stopped Lazarus from dying, you and I would never have had an example of Jesus' power over death. This is here for you and I, so that we might believe that he has the power over death. Let's look at the miracle, shall we? Verse 17. When Jesus arrived, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days, so 96 hours without breathing. Lazarus' heart had probably missed about a half a million beats. His blood has congealed. He is physically rotting. He really is dead. Verse 38. And Jesus, angry in himself again, he came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. A big cave with a stone against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, he's already decaying. He's be- it's been four days. I-, I love the authorized version there. It says, Lord, he stinketh. His body's de- decomposing. He really is dead. And Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. And Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. He's obviously been praying for the resurrection of Lazarus. I thank you. You've answered my prayer. I know you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that they may believe that you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus! Come out! And the dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Can Jesus deliver? Of course he can. It's been said that Jesus had to mention Lazarus by name. Lazarus, come out! 
Because if he hadn't specified the name Lazarus and said, come out, every tomb would have opened that day and every dead man would have walked up. That's how powerful Jesus is. At her word, he can raise the dead back to life. And the question for you and I is in verse 25, 26. Do you believe this? Do you trust that the Lord Jesus Christ has the power even over death? Except we've still got a problem, haven't we? Because Lazarus still died again, didn't he? We don't know when, five years, ten years, twenty years, thirty years later. At some point, Lazarus went back into that tomb. And so what we need is not just an example of someone coming back to life. What we need is an example of somebody who comes back to life never to die again. We, we need the example of somebody who defeats death and just raises up to heaven so that you and I will be confident that death has been defeated. And now do you get the link? There's another cave, isn't there? With another stone rolled over that cave. And inside they laid the body of who? Our Lord Jesus Christ himself. And on that first Easter morning, the, the women came to the tomb. And they were grieving, weren't they? And they came with the spices to anoint the body. And then they found the stone was rolled away. And they found the tomb was empty. And what did the angel say? He is not here. He is. He's risen. And did Jesus ever die again? He ascended straight to his father's side. And because of that, you and I can have the absolute confidence that death has been defeated. I read 1 Corinthians 15 at my father's funeral. He was not a believer. But these words, for me as a believer, have incredible power. Let me read 1 Corinthians 15, verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. Therefore, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have, been, who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. In Christ, all will be made alive. I was trying to think of an example for this. The best example of this is, is have you ever seen on, on, on a video or in real life the, the, the sort of snake charmers? Those, those people who mess around with those hissing snakes, the massive cobras. If you chat to a, a snake charmer, you say, how, how do you do it? Like, how do you put your life at risk every single day? And do you know the answer? The poison has been taken out of the snakes. The sting has been taken out of the snakes. And so they still hiss, and they still look horrible, but actually they're harmless. And isn't that us and death? It still hisses at us. It still looks horrible. 
and it may be painful, but the sting has been totally taken out of it because Jesus paid the price of sin and death has been defeated. So let me ask you, how do you view death? It depends on your attitude to Jesus, doesn't it? He has the power over death, so death is no longer your enemy. And the question for you is John chapter 11, verse 26, do you believe this? That's the challenge. Do you believe this? If you've ever faced death, if you ever faced the death of a loved one, trust me, you don't want theories. You want facts. You don't want pious platitudes. What you want is words of hope and certainty. And now hear the words of Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever comes to me, whoever believes in me, even though they die, they will live. Do you believe this? I've got a kind of a, a morbid fascination, I guess, with, uh, with cemeteries. I actually love them. And I love looking at the, the gravestones. And I love most of all the words on those gravestones. And some of them are utter trite and utter nonsense. This is probably the worst one. If tears could build a stairway and memories build a lane, I'd walk right up to heaven and bring you home again. Where's the hope in that? But there are some amazing tombstones, and these are real tombstones with special meaning for me. With Jesus, which is better by far, at peace with his Savior, no one can snatch them from his hand. Alive with Christ. The Lord God has wiped away all tears from their face. Why don't you walk around church tonight and look at the plaques on the wall? Dorothy Ogden. Martha in service. Mary in faith. Beatrice Broadbent at the back of church. Went to life. Not to death, went to life on a certain date. Just read them. And they're words of hope, aren't they? And they're words of certainty and they're words of comfort because of the resurrection. As I look back on 2013, there have been some surprising deaths. You never know. You never know when death is going to strike, do you? But as a believer in Christ... You can approach your death with absolute confidence. I've already written my funeral plan. That might sound really morbid. It's not actually. Because I want my funeral to be like Barbara's funeral. I want it to be a celebration. And if I happen to die before you and you're at my funeral, I hope you're there saying, he's alive with Jesus. He's gone home. He's gone to be with his saviour. There is hope, isn't there? Why? 
because of the resurrection. These words from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We do not grieve like the rest of men who had no hope. We grieve with hope, knowing that those who have fallen asleep in Jesus will rise to new life. Lord God, we praise you for that confidence and the certainty of resurrection life because of Jesus. We praise you that the tomb was empty. We praise you that Lazarus was raised. And we praise you for the comfort, for the hope, and for the certainty that we have. In Jesus' name.